going on, guys? Welcome back to the show today. I have with me in person uh, a friend of mine, Trevor Zerke, which may or may not be pronouncing incorrectly, but um, Trevor's a chiropractor. Trevor, what's going on, man? Not much. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Uh, I really like your content. I think your followers, um, we're kind of on the same wavelength of which type of people follow us and like our content. So I think this will be really beneficial. Yeah, it's a, it's a good way to start the podcast by just like blowing each other a little bit, which is good, yeah. But um, so I, normally what happens is like, I definitely want you to introduce yourself. It's funny because we have not known each other for a long time, so I'm also like selfishly interested in learning a little bit more about your background. Um, for those of you guys who don't know, Trevor lives in the same community as me. We are uh, dog parent friends who, that's basically how we met first. Um, and so I like to give the listener a little bit about why I wanted to have you on, because obviously they know me, but they are curious why I might have chosen you to have on the podcast. Um, truthfully, I don't have a good answer for what the fuck a chiropractor does. And like, I don't have a good answer. Like I can give you like a, you know, a kind of an answer, but I feel like there's a wide range of things. And the first time you helped Jenna, Jenna had a back problem. I remember the first time you guys talked about it. I was like, wow, this guy actually might have a clue what he's talking about. Like I was like, you know, you know, Trevor's a chiropractor. Maybe you ask him. And, and I was like, you know what though? Like, I'm not really actually sure what that means. Like I've never been to a chiropractor is what I'm saying. I've never experienced that. And so I've been to a physical therapist. I've, I've been a personal trainer. So, you know, I have an idea of stuff that I've gone through, but not a chiropractor. And so I was like, this guy might actually know what he's talking about. But then like comma at the same time, you just see a whole bunch of people like snapping each other's backs on TikTok, And so I'm like, I'm not really sure what a chiropractor does. And so that's going to be like the basis of our first uh, topic is like, what technically is a chiropractor's job? What are they taught to do? How might it, you know, differ in practice? But before we do that, just like, who is Trevor Zerke? Like, tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, qualifications, and what you're doing today. Absolutely. So uh, moved down here from Texas just this year. Like Jordan said, uh, we met, yeah, because our dogs are basically best friends at the park, um, which is always the best way to meet people as young adults. Um, but I just started practice here. I opened my own practice in Austin here, uh, ATX Rehab and Performance. I started there in February. Um, I just graduated from Northwestern Health Sciences University, which is a chiropractic um, school up in Minnesota, where I'm originally from. And that program takes three and a half years. And I completed that after I did four years of undergrad with my bachelor's in science of exercise physiology. So it's a long road, um, but I just kind of started out this last year. But I, I'm really excited and I like to, like to kind of see where uh, the future is gonna take it for me. Um, and as someone that's just started practice, I feel like people look at me as like a younger, like who doesn't really know what he's doing, but this last year with like COVID and stuff like that, school, got more lax and actually got me exposed to, I guess we'll say the good crowd of chiropractors. Like uh, that's something we'll definitely talk about where it's uh, there's a good and a bad side of chiropractors. And um, this last year I've gotten a lot more in touch with the good side. And I think like it's helped me a lot as a clinician and uh, made me confident enough that I could open my own practice from the get go. So you're, you're, uh, you're undergrad and you're thinking, I want to be, I'm, I'm making a leap here, but you're considering this certain sort of like fitness slash medical like blend of a, you know, you know, you don't want to just necessarily be a personal trainer. You think you want to do something like a little bit, maybe beyond that academically, why go the chiropractor route? Like personally for you, what was your decision making right. process? Yeah. So actually it was, I think my sophomore year I had it labeled on You're exactly right. I knew I wanted to do something in the fitness thing, but I knew PT wasn't exactly, this was before like online PT had really blown up. PT personal trainer, PT physical therapist. Personal trainer. Okay, okay. Uh, before personal training, like online had really blown up. So I thought like business wise, avenue wise, I was like, okay, I think I want to do more. So my top three at the time were physical therapy, um, nutrition. So like an RD um, or a chiropractor and chiropractors on there because I had seen a chiropractor before 
uh, albeit a pretty good one. So I was a little skewed with what I thought a chiropractor was. I'd only ever seen one and he was pretty good. So I was like, oh, this is what all chiropractors must look like. Very wrong. Um, so that made my list. And then as I just kind of evaluated them and shadowed some more, I just thought from a business perspective, chiropractors, um, they kind of have a little bit, they have a little bit of an edge of when they can do like private practice. Um, especially where I'm from up in Minnesota, private practice in physical therapy and, um, and dietitians is really hard. Um, it's really uncommon. Whereas private practice chiropractors, like you can always do. So from a business standpoint, I thought this, this kind of gets me the best of both worlds, kind of where I want to be. Um, and from what I had saw from the chiropractors I'd shadowed, I knew I could still do the fitnessy, the rehab parts that I kind of wanted to do. So I had that bias going in, into school and I quickly learned that that is not the norm. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself that like I'm the the broad spectrum we want to go into right now is like what are you taught in school to do and why might I go see somebody like you versus a physical therapist versus a personal trainer versus like a you know orthopedist or whatever it is that we're going to go see. So let's like kind of just very briefly just like broad spectrum start from the beginning like what is a chiropractor's job if you had to give like this textbook answer what are they taught to do what are you learning in school and then let's move on to like how might that change from what you might do in practice absolutely so i think the probably the one the one sentence answer that most chiropractors and chiropractic schools would like you to give is chiropractors are a primary care physician or primary care provider um, for a more conservative approach to neuromusculoskeletal conditions so muscle aches um, anything around there, even some neurological disorders. If you want to do conservative care before seeking out like a physician for surgery consults or something like that, you can go see a chiropractor. So, so let's say like, okay, I, I get that. I, I can see where that would be in a hierarchy of like uh, me, then you, then um, like, an, like actually going to see like an orthopedist or something mm -hmm. for something like more structurally wrong. But like where, let's talk about like how might what you're doing differ from, let's say, a physical therapist? What are the, what is that? I'm envisioning a Venn diagram where there's a decent amount of overlap, um, de depending on who you are as a, as a chiropractor, depending on who you are as a physical therapist. But like, let's just take those two, because to me and my brain, and maybe that's just me speaking my own bias, but like to me, it's a Venn diagram that there's some overlap. You know, I've, I've seen when I watched you work with Jenna and her back, I was like, well, this is not too dissimilar from a really like a good PT experience that we've had in the past with her. But I also could tell that there was something slightly different. So how might you kind of frame this, you know, difference between those two fields? Yeah, I would say if you, if you were taking the approach of just like a general person who gets injured, they hurt their back and they think, what do I want to do next? Um, and it used to be if you go see, let's just say you go see a PA or a general, general healthcare provider, um, they would have directed you back in the day straight to PT, um, whether that be a route you really need or not. Um, and PT... PT is not a great option for everyone just because it's not, from a patient standpoint, who wants to do PT, really? Especially, like, the old, you think of, like, your grandma's PT, like, post-surgery, where it's, like, the slow, whatever. Um, and it's pretty expensive, and it's drawn out over a lot of time. So, chiropractor kind of filled the role of, it helps a lot more for those acute stuff, right? So, say, like, the classic, your dad throws out his back, he goes to, he goes to the doctor, wants to get it fixed right away. Instead of sending you through three, four weeks of PT, um, they'd rather just send you to a chiropractor now who... Just, we'll get into it. Yeah, let's get into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The idea is that they'll just suggest you whatever and you'll be feeling good in the next Is that a true, is that a true, 
So their th- their thoughts in this process is well, a lot. PT might be like this long drawn out process where we're like really taking things step by step. But is it true that there's some expedited? Like, is it true that I looked at what you did with Jenny's back and I'm like, this is a this is a, what I would suspect a good PT would prescribe, where yes. it's like step by step, we're increasing range of motion, we're challenging, right. we're not. It's not rice. We're not like doing yes. rice. We're not doing like if it hurts, don't do it. We you know we're we're. It looked like a, a, what a good PT might do. Right. So the way I like to think about it is most chiropractors, like most, um, we'll kind of get into more so of how I practice. But most, most chiropractors are going to be there for like that quick fix. And for most people, that's totally fine because they're just like, you know, their back hurts. It flares up. They're not used to it. They've never had back pain before. Uh, it hurts. I want to get help right away. And chiropractic adjustments um, introduce a little vector of something that will help them right then and there. Um, we, we'll get into it more for sure of like, is it actually helping? Do you actually need it? Um, well, let's just pit stop there. Let's talk about this adjustment thing because I think myself included, uh, that is what I like. That's like the prototypical, stereotypical. Totally. This is what a chiropractor is doing. You're coming in and I'm attaching an external road microphone to your back and then I'm, <laughs> I'm fucking snapping your back in half so I can post it on TikTok. Like, what is happening when I'm getting, when I'm getting an adjustment? What is, I, you know, we don't, you can go as deep as you want physiologically into like what's actually happening, like neuromuscularly, yeah. whatever you want, but. You know, give 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 the listener and secretly just me like some definition yeah. of like what the hell is going on. Uh, as far as what's happening physiologically, not a whole lot. You're basically think of it as like another form of massage. Like you know, like a muscle hurts and you rub it. Like the there's a blood flow and yeah, you have a boo boo. You rub it and you know it feels a little better just because you're stimulating that area and your nervous system can only do so much at one time. So it gets an adjustment is literally just that. Um, and in my definition and science's definition. When you get to the more, um, let's call it artistic and philosophy side of chiropractic, they're saying, you know, an adjustment's actually moving your bones and correcting alignment, um, taking tension off nerves because your spinal cord's crooked, so now they're adjusting it, and now it's in the right way, and now your whole body can flow state. Um, Disclaimer, if you didn't already know, that's bullshit. It's quite filled with a lot of nebulous terms. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, oh, they're... They're the kings of creating up terms on the yeah, fly. Yeah, yeah. You're like, wow, that's a big word. He must know what he's talking about. No, yeah. I swear he just made it up. Um, but for for most for most people, they'll go see a chiropractor. Back's hurting. It's really sensitive, and they'll do an adjustment. Um, and it's basically it's just applying a little stimulus. Let's back, let's back up one second. Yeah. So I have a back pain. I have back pain. Yep. And. I guess we get, we're going to talk about like what sorts of things might trigger somebody going to see a chiropractor. Let's say back pain is one of those things. It's like, all right, back pain, okay, chiropractor. Um, what's the line of, you know, what's like that order of operation in terms of line of questioning that you might give me? Or are we just coming in? You're like, yep, get up on the table, attach that road yeah. mic here. And then. And I guess that's where like a good one versus a bad one, right? So a bad one is their approach is always going to be, you're going, as soon as you even say like what's wrong, you're going on the table, they're going to move you around. And then like that's it there. Um, a good one, kind of like a PT, is they're going to really boil down like, okay, what is going on here? What do I think, based off what he's given me, what do I think are some possible diagnoses? And what would actually be beneficial for him? Um, Does that ever end up for you in doing an adjustment? Sometimes, right? Okay. So if it's, so I'll give a quick example. Um, I work out of a gym. It's a big powerlifting gym. And this past weekend I worked, they did a powerlifting meet, right? So it's meet day. So these guys are all, they're all coming in. And if they come to see me, it's because something's bugging right now and they have to do something in five minutes. So is it, is it quite, is it practical for me to sit down there and, you know, kind of go through a full history? I think you should do some rehab here or there. No, not really. It's more practical for me to do some muscle work or an adjustment or something like that, get them feeling better, or at least think that they're feeling better. 
um, for that short period of time that they can perform. So absolutely, in cases like that, absolutely. Do you find that that acute relief is uh, in part, whether placebo or not, but do you find that like, okay, let's take this weekend as an example. Like somebody's yeah. got to go compete in the next half hour or something and they want to feel better. Mm -hmm. I mean, are, are you finding that that is actually giving some relief? Yeah, it is. And it's, and I think what all, um, I guess we call ourselves evidence-based chiropractors, um, people who actually like science. Um, I guess our whole thing with it is we don't actually hate the adjustment as a as a treatment. We hate the narratives that often get pushed with it. So that's what I was talking about with the philosophy-based and yeah, all those shoveling people into one yes, funnel. Yeah, and it's making them believe that they really need it. Um, and I always disclaim before I do it, I'm like, hey, this is just a short-term fix. Like, It'll help you here for the next few minutes, but that's it. It starts and stops. A piece of the puzzle. It's a piece of the puzzle. And it's like the tiniest piece. Yeah. yeah. Like the first piece you lay there. Um, so I, I find it helpful for there. Um, I find that I apply that also to like muscle work. Um, so if you do like instrument or grass, then I guess I'm not grass and certified because I don't want to pay like $5,000 or whatever ridiculous amount it is. But stuff like that, I put that all into one category. We refer to that as just manual therapy. Um, cupping would go there too, voodoo floss, you name it. All those are just quick fixes. And for the right person, which I guess that's the huge context here is the right person can sometimes get benefit from that. It's not everyone. So it's like you go to these chiropractic clinics and it's, they see hundred people a day. They're all getting the exact same thing. And it's, it's kind of the same old, well, I'm a hammer. Everyone's got to be a nail. And that's, and that's kind of like the big problem with chiropractic is the overwhelming majority of people think like. I think I think of it as, again, not, not a naive opinion based on not having been, but just from the outside looking in, I feel like an adjustment is a really, really amazing business tool um, because it, it does give some relief, but it doesn't fix you long enough to not come back. And exactly. it's like whenever I've gotten a massage, I always laugh because like I like getting massage, but I'll be the first one to tell you that I think physiologically there's not a lot going on. I think the biggest benefit of getting a massage is spending an hour in the dark, in the silence with no phone in a, in a parasympathetic state. I mean, you could just do that and like take a nap potentially or like like there's plenty of ways to get that but the best thing about the funny thing about massage every time i go like the person's like oh you're so tight oh you're super tight and there's like reinforcing that you'll probably yes. have to come back at some point exactly and so i think of the adjustment as like you know this i, I hear people that oh, I, I go get adjustments regularly yes. and i'm like well that might be a sign that that's not the thing you know like if you're going once a month to get an adjustment like is this the thing that's going to give you a long-term benefit or, or are you or or is it working for you because someone's like hey i get a monthly adjustment and i feel great in my whole life and i don't mind the money to cost the time ratio of doing that i'm that's good but to me it would send a signal of like well if i have to keep going back to have my back snapped in half like a like a tin can like is there maybe something i could be doing that would actually build upon itself so that i don't have to go back at some point absolutely and i think that's that's where I never have problems with patients who they say they come in, they say they want to get adjusted um, and they have the fiscal means to do so and the time and stuff. And they, they really see benefit from it. No problem. And like I said, I always make sure that they know, Hey, you don't need this. Um, it's not helping you that much. It just, like you said, it feels good. It's like a massage. I think the massage comparison is great. And I would argue massage is probably better. Cause like you just talked about you like the full hour where people just really de-stress, um, and that's really, that's playing so much more into your pain than you think it is. And that's, that's giving them a way more, a better environment to actually start getting over their pain. Whereas an adjustment, you know, it's like 10, 15 minutes at most. Um, and yeah, you, like you said, I'm glad you touched on the having to go in and see multiple times a week. Cause that's kind of something that like, we should definitely touch on is like some red flags. 
if you want to see a chiropractor, what are some red flags? Like, okay, this is not like a good chiropractor. And that would be my number one is they want to see you way more often than you would even think normal. So I, it's not unheard of to hear of like three, four times a week, four months on it. Oh no. Yeah. Um, so anything like that, we'll refer to it as, uh, they'll refer to it as treatment plans. Like they'll come in and see you and you'll have to sign on to do, it's almost like, like a punch card. Like they're like, okay, hey, pay for. I mean, physical therapy is like that. Yeah. Physical therapy is like that where mm-hmm. you're going a couple times a week and then maybe as you're building up that adaptation, you come less and less and they, they I mean, is, I mean, I can understand it, there are better and worse cases where I have to come back several times a week. Yes. What you're saying is this is a case that's probably a red flag in some Absolutely. ways. Yeah. Cause they're almost determining like right on the spot from a 15 minute, you know, Console. history. Yeah. Yeah, that there's, okay, well, I'm going to need to see you 20 times over the next two months. And it's like, how, first off, no, you don't, like we just talked about. But second, where did you determine that? Yeah. Um, and I think the only way you determined that was because your wallet said you wanted it. Like, yeah. so that's that's red flag number one. Um, number two would be if they're taking imaging, um, kind of talking about the language that we were talking about, the adjustment where they're kind of spooking you to see there. If they're taking x-rays, if you've never seen an x-ray, you don't look at an x-ray a lot, they can just be the scariest fucking things you've ever seen in your life. Um, and you can be looking at a totally normal image and you can think something's messed up and then you're looking at them as a voice of reason. You know, they know how to read these. They know it's right and they can totally sell you down a path of. Is there anything you could see from an x-ray? I mean, I mean, I can imagine that there's some, like with every kind of bullshit thing out there, there's, it's like an uh, extrapolation on some small microcosm of truth. And so is there like a thing where it's like, okay, we take x-rays because we might see X, but we have all these chiropractors who are you know, kind of finding issues yes. that might not exist. I mean, is there some Absolutely. truth in it somewhere? Absolutely. Um, and there isn't, it should always be, you should always have a super detailed history and your list of diagnoses should lead to, okay, I think imaging would be beneficial this year. Um, examples being like extreme pain, like focal pain. Okay. Maybe there's a possible fracture here. Let's go check that out. Um, some big neurological signs or symptoms, like you have numbness, you have really weak extremities. Um, you know, let's get some imaging done. See here. Maybe we have some serious nerve impingement going on. That'd be an awesome thing. If your back just like hurts, just like it normally does, there's no reason you should get x-ray and there's nothing on an x-ray that's gonna that's gonna show that that's why you're in pain. Often- Unless it's super extreme in one yes, of these cases exactly. where like you have a fracture or you have yeah. nerve damage or-, or- It's super, super rare. But most of the time it's, you come in, okay, my back hurts and these like quacky chiropractors will just say, all right, let's shoot you up on an x-ray. And they look and you know, first thing they'll see is cause it's super obvious. And super common if you're over the age of 40, they'll be like, oh, some disc degeneration. That's why you're in back pain. Hey, I got these adjustments. They can help. You know, let's see you for the next two months. And if you're a patient, you don't know any better. You think, oh, okay, well, I see the disc degenerations. He's showing me now what a normal one should look like. He doesn't tell you that that's like a 20-year-old healthy person, you know, who that's what everyone looks like that age. And at 40, everyone looks like yours does now. They're a little bit smaller. Is what it is. But they can just trick you and kind of almost fear monger you into treatment. And that's, and that's why imaging and x-rays, and there's a ton of literature out on this over the past few years um, of even just what it does mentally for a patient when they see imaging. Like even if they saw an image and the doctor told them it was all good, in their head they're seeing their image and they think they saw something and now it's in the back of their head at sure. all times. So yeah. you know, they're worried about it. So that's, it- that's definitely like my other biggest red flag is if you're having to get image done right away or frequently, right. et cetera. Is it difficult to, I mean, you've been doing this, you know, for whatever, it's funny because while you said that you're young and you haven't been doing this that long, I actually, I think of you as current, actually. I think of you as like, yeah, you're young, but like, 
and it's not by definition you're up to speed on things because I know I know you and I've heard you talk and I've seen your content. We've had chats offline, and so I I do know that you are up to speed. But I I don't think of you as like new to the game and thus inexperienced. I think of you new to the game and thus kind of current and relevant. Yeah. So is it difficult? You're just starting out, but is it difficult to to think about? making a living and building a practice without some of these things or sometimes sometimes i'm trying trying to just play devil's advocate sometimes there's a give somebody what they want so you can give them what they need and so there's some elements sometimes of like you know let's do an assessment let's get a little buy-in let's do this image let's get a little buy-in like is there some element of that that you are like man this is going to be tough or are you like i got to stay 100 true to the truth and and maybe that's going to be my route to doing really well or is there a little bit of overlap like how do you feel Absolutely. So it's funny. It's funny that you say that because I have one of my best friends and uh, mentor. You guys may have seen him before. His name's Aaron Kubal on TikTok. He's exactly one year ahead of me. Um, and he does the same thing I do, but he all he does it all over, all over telehealth. So he does rehab programming and stuff in there. But the funny story is he, a year ahead of me. So I was in my fourth semester of school. He was in his uh, seventh semester of school. He was getting like a little business mentorship and he kind of pitched him at the time his plan, which is now literally what I'm doing is renting a space in a gym, seeing patients operating just as a cash practice and being heavily rehab based long sessions, like hour plus with people. And he told it to this guy who is, you know, built up thousands, hundreds of successful chiropractic practices. And he tells him you're an idiot. That's not going to make any money. <laughs> and he goes, okay, well, we'll see. Um, fast forward a year. Now Aaron's super successful. And I'm only a few months in, but I'm already seeing that success can easily be done this way. It's just, it's not as hard. It's not as easy as what we talked about. Like you said, the buy-in is a huge thing when you can show, when you can give people kind of what they want. Um, and especially if you do, you know, if you do a decent job and you're a nice guy, you're really good at communicating. You can definitely get people to keep coming back, sure. keep, get people to come to you and stuff from there. Um, and that's by far the easiest way to do it. It's harder it is a lot harder from my perspective, especially because I am so truthful. Um, and I'll tell people like, hey, I don't think, I actually think you can do fine on your own. Give it two weeks. I think, I think you'll be totally fine. Keep doing as you would and your pain's going to totally go away. That's not great for my wallet. But I think in, in the long term, um, for my image, I think that's why people will start to trust me. I think it's it's a, it's a sh I'm giving up the short term to try to invest in the long term, especially being, trying to build an online presence. Um, I think just having that people look at me in the scope of honesty and they know that if I come, I'll actually be telling you the truth. I'm like, should you need help? I think that'll help me in the long run, but it's definitely tempting when you see people open up a practice, like your normal chiropractor practice one year in and they're making tons of money, just peddling BS. And it's just like, okay, you know, we, me and Aaron always joke, like if we had no morals, we'd be billionaires. Cause it's, it, you really could, but I, th I think there's a benefit, especially in today's society, and you see it in the fitness world too, to being actually morally sound and being honest with people. Yeah, we're, we're I mean, you, you're you gonna have to sleep at night. It's, yeah, so exactly. There's like, there's, there's always that, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just like, you have to live with yourself. And I, we're not making everybody who does an adjustment or something out to be a crook, that's no, not what we're talking about. No but, but there are, Every industry has a spectrum of, of people who are trying to do good versus people that are, you know, trying to do some good, but at the same time also trying to figure out what's the best way to make a lot more money. And so I, I, I agree with the do what feels right and the money will come sort of thing. Like, or not yeah. that this is all, whatever, do what feels right is probably what will give you the happiest version of yeah. this career for you, for sure. I always, I always like the quote, it's like the easiest way to make a million dollars just to help a million people, like actually truthfully help them. So I'm not worried. I'm not worried about that end from from kind of a, a business standpoint. 
So let's go through just like some common things that people might be, you know, like ailments that, that might be bothering people. And like, let's talk about, okay, this person go see a chiropractor. Like I have back pain, I hurt myself deadlifting. Am I going to see a chiropractor? I have a knee pain, I hurt myself squatting. Am I going to see a chiropractor? My shoulder hurts when I overhead press. Am I going to see a chiropractor? Am I going to see a physical therapist? Can I see both depending on the type of practitioner that is, that they're, they might be able to handle me, either person might be fine handling me? Right, um, and I think that's a good note is, I always tell people that a, a good chiropractor and a good physical therapist, if you walked in the room and you didn't know the person that was about to treat you, if you don't know what they would were, they should be indistinguishable. So a good PT and a good chiro should practice almost the exact same way. What is that? It's they're having a good open dialogue. It's a long history. They're trying to figure out kind of everything about the person from there. They're being honest. Um, and they're, they're taking a conservative approach in the fact that so if you're going to go see them right away, it's probably because you're hurt, but you don't want to go see an orthopedic person right away because, yeah. you know, you don't want to go down the whole line of... Your leg's not broken. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so you go see them, and they're taking a conservative approach that's involving a lot of education on, like, your condition, um, your pain, how is it going to be in the next few weeks, and then they're also currently, this is kind of debated, they're giving you some form of rehab exercise, but it's mostly as a self-management tool, Right. So it's taking the emphasis off of us as a provider and putting it on you to kind of help get back, get back to where you want to be. Um, that's really beneficial from not only like a financial standpoint, you don't have to keep paying us money to come see us, but it's also, it helps you build up the confidence and the empowerment to actually get over your injury. And then in the future, because most people are going to have back pain or knee pain or something a bunch of times throughout their life. And if you know how to management yourself without having to go see someone that's that's the best thing we can do as providers is to get you to that stage are there things that i come in with where you're like yep this is a physical therapist field not my field or the or vice versa is there something where you would say hey if you this if you have this this probably doesn't fall in that bucket or is there just like you said it's almost like a quality of practitioner that is going to matter most there's a quality for sure that i think that matters the most but then there's also there's specialties for sure don't get me wrong um and especially that gets that gets exasperated when you go to like high ends, like you're talking athletes or something like that. I'm comfortable working with athletes, but I know a lot of practitioners work mostly with like chronic pain people. Right. Um, they Type won't of be, clientele. Yeah. They won't be comfortable working with like, you know, an ACL rehab. And even to that degree, it's like, well, I know a lot of people that are really great with like post-op ACL rehab, stuff like that. Chiropractors. So, yeah. Chiropractors and PTs, you know, both. It's kind of, like I said, if they're good, you should really, you should really differentiate one or the other pts are definitely more common don't get me wrong like, no let's 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 do the other side of the coin here we'll play the play the play devil's advocate here if somebody were to disagree with what you just said either a chiropractor or a pt what would they say like like you what you're saying is like it's almost i'm not saying they're the same you're not saying they're the same but there's like an element of like i'm hurt and the person i need to see to me in my brain is like someone who's going to thoroughly check my background who's yeah. not going to jump to conclusions who's going to take this slow who's going to take it seriously who's not going to sell me something i don't need you know those are all qualities that are like more general, like not necessarily the physical skills that I went to school for, but more of like me understanding that pain is complex and that we need to be, you know, it's not, a, there's not one cure-all. And so let's say somebody, would somebody like, could you imagine someone yes. disagreeing with you? Oh. Where would where would somebody disagree with PTs that? PTs usually strongly disagree because it's kind of like a stay off my turf kind of thing where it's... What are they saying? What turf would they say stay off of? Mostly rehab exercise, which is, it's so weird that the PT versus Cairo thing is PTs... Um, they really, for the like, they bash chiropractors, but they almost like them in the spot that they are currently. Um, 
they think everyone should come see PTs, but they like chiropractors that they don't do rehab. They like that they just do the adjustments because... Yes, keep doing that. Keep doing yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then we'll do our stuff. So when there's chiropractors like me or other really good chiropractors, there's tons of them out there who do more rehab stuff like that, they say, whoa, 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 you're on, you're on our side. And then they'll, they'll stipulate and they'll point right to, well, they don't learn any of this stuff in school. Yeah, that was my question, yeah. Which... We'll get into our schooling for sure, but we definitely don't cover nearly as so much rehab. Almost everything I've learned for from a rehab perspective of programming, progressive overload, stuff like that, in a rehab setting has all been self-learned um, from a lot of great resources, a lot of them PTs. Um, and so that's kind of where the – if you were just – if it was just a blanket, they didn't know who you're talking about, but a PT heard all they would to Cairo for the rehab, that would be their first thing and say, wow, why'd they go see – what do they know about rehab? And for the most part, I would probably agree with you. Um, but there's, I I know too many people out there that they're they're great clinicians and they're chiropractors. And there's a lot of great PTs who understand that and they would say the exact same thing. Yeah. I, I also think there's some element, I again, maybe naive opinion, but I've had some injuries in my life, particularly like I had some patella tendonitis. And um, what was big for me was like load management, which is like a, a complex term, meaning I was just doing too much like too often with too poor recovery and potentially not optimal technique. And so I remember I, I worked for the company Active Life, which we can talk about as like very like telehealth PTs, which PS, if you're in, if you have like some like niggling pain, you want to work with somebody online, they're great. Um, good experience with them. But I look at and look back at my experience with them. They are DPTs, like doctor of physical yep. therapies, uh, doctors of physical therapy. Mm -hmm. And basically what we did was like, we scaled back the volume a little bit. We, yep. we went to like really slow eccentrics, which forced, two things, one, the higher amount of time under tension, but mm -hmm. there's some confounding amount of the fact that the loads had to come down so much. We were yep. doing like three second eccentric, three, cent three second concentric back squats. And so some people are like, you know, that, that time under tension is really good for the joints. You know what else is really good for the joints? The fact that when I do a three, zero, three, zero back squat, I'm doing 95 pounds or something exactly. crazy, you know? And yeah. so, uh, you know, I, I think about that and I'm like, well, that might be something that, you know, you, you would have, I saw what you prescribed for Jenna for her back and stuff like that. And so there were, it was, it was similar, a similar yeah. understanding of load management and scaling of load over time, scaling of range of motion over time. And I'm not saying that again, I, I I'm now hearing the PT in my voice of like, they, they don't learn that in school. Like yeah. that's not their thing. And so where does that, how do you, how do you defend, how would you defend yourself? Not that you're on the, on the, you know, at the stake here, but yeah. And I would say that ironically, cause I mean, I have patients currently with, with uh, patellofemoral pain, and it's I would do the same protocol, and I would argue, well, PTs honestly, if you're if you're a PT who's learning good good load management tips and how to how to prescribe training for specific pathologies and stuff like that, you probably learn that outside of school, anyways. Um, I'd argue I've heard from a lot of PTs where their current curriculum at is it's still far behind. Um, the rule of thumb they always say is that the current curriculum is 15 years behind the research, right? So I would currently put us at 2008. 2007 range of research um, is what's being taught in school. And so if you're a good PT, you learned it outside of school anyways. And I mean, I hate to break to you, but I have, I have access to those same resources. Sure. And that's where, that's where I would kind of defend myself is I would, I would argue, you know, where did, where'd you learn it? Cause I probably learned it from the same place. Cause I, I I'm guessing you didn't learn it from school, um, which is awesome, which is everyone should embrace that. It's awesome that all clinicians have access to great material online from great providers who are just putting out content for free or, you know, for... It's not like you guys don't have a d deep understanding of anatomy and physiology. Exactly. Like, I'm not saying that that's the only thing you need to understand, but I, I think with a really good foundation of that anatomy and that mm -hmm. physiology, like, then some of this external learning that you can do after the fact can can be something that you could learn equally well, I believe. Absolutely. And, like, and I think you touched on a great point is it's not so much the... 
Uh, what makes a great provider great isn't their knowledge, but it's it's how they are as a person, right? It's how you're communicating with that patient. It's how you're calming them down from any anxieties they have about their pain or their injury, and you're building them back up with a with good communication, then also with a, a great programming that helps them empower themselves, feel confident with the movements, feel confident, hey, I'm going to get over my pain. That's what makes a great provider. It's not because I've taken 17 seminars on rehab and I know 2,000 rehab exercises. Sure. You know, that's, what does that mean if, you know, I'm not telling a patient or I'm just giving them a program? Because, spoiler, I have a lot of patients who've seen really good DPTs, but they just really lack that personal and they didn't get the benefit from it, you know, because they were just handed a program, hey, do these exercises. They weren't told why. They weren't talked to about it afterwards like that. And it's, you know, that's that's not helping them no matter how much knowledge you have. Yeah, yeah. It's just same with everything. Same with yeah. a, a GP, same with a PT. So exactly. like the relationship that you're getting and the kind of person you're working with is notably important. Let's talk mm-hmm. a little bit about, like, I didn't even put this on the table. Let's talk about back pain a little bit. Let's like, mm-hmm. I mean, listen, I've tried to dive into like the back pain, um, just labyrinth of information that's out there. And just like, okay, look, like what, what might, and maybe we're just going to blow the scope of this conversation real wide, but I got back pain. My back hurts. Let's say, for example, it doesn't hurt for the record. You know, I'm invincible. But yeah. um, what, what are we what are we talking about here? What are we What are you looking at? We, you know, we're obviously getting a ton of imaging done. Immediately getting an adjustment. <laughs> like immediately, immediately adjustment. you're adjusting me while I'm getting an X-ray. You're signing up for a six month lease yeah. in my office yes. where we're gonna adjustments, injections, yeah. themselves. So what are we What are we doing? What What's a or at least line of questioning, line of thinking for you? Line of questioning. So it usually starts first off like how did it happen? Um, and I like to just break down, just get them talking about their injury from there. But then kind of where I where I kind of differ from most people, um, and when I say most people, people that don't really follow evidence, because it's what the evidence tells us is from there, I really go into just understanding the person in totality. Um, I talk a lot about people's like social factors, because like you talked about pain, super complex, and we're learning more and more every day that pain means so much more than just what's going on at that spot of injury. Could mean your stress in life, literally your socioeconomic status, your diet, your sleep, hydration, everything like that plays such an equal part in that. So I try to get a whole picture approach to that. And as they're talking, I'm thinking, okay, well, he says his work's stressing out so much that he can't get more than four hours of sleep at night because, you know, work's got him that stressed out. That goes in my notes thinking, okay, that could be a really huge factor in why his back started hurting. Different story if he comes in, he says, hey, my back hurts because I got a car accident. You know, that's where the things change like that. But if it's generally talking here, it's something about, it's, I think the stat is it's like 95% of all specifically low back pain is what we refer to as nonspecific, meaning we have no specific pathology we can point to of why your back's hurting, which is why I'd like to start with this broad approach because, you know, just playing the math, most people that walk into my door with low back pain, they're not going to know why I could spend four hours looking at them. I'm not going to know why. So let's take that example because that's the one I want to go with is... Mm -hmm. Because it's a tough one because I feel like you have the, I got the car accident or I have the, you know, I deadlift 5,000 pounds yeah. in my back and my, you know, ton of flexion. Mm-hmm. Um, w- what might be some of the, you know, I'm imagining you're like Batman with his like toolkit. What's some <laughs> of like the quick things that I'm not saying you think are going to fix everything, but what are some of the things you're like, I don't know what to do. Let's start with this. I always like to do um, which movements, like this is pretty much all of my assessment um, is based around which movements are bugging you, which movements kind of provoke that pain. And then it's, it's literally a load management from there of working you back into it. Um, I always say, I always tell people my, my treatment goes around poking the bear or drinking a little bit of the poison. What does that mean? That means, so he, you come in with back pain, it really hurts when I bend over to pick something up. Like, it, I can't do it right now. Okay, so we're going to go around in the gym and we're going to do a few movements. Somewhere you know you're intentionally bending over to pick something up. And then somewhere 
you're doing something else, but at the same time, you're actually also bending over. Um, example would be like just doing some rows, like some like you're on the dumbbell, just one arm stationary there doing some rows. They're not thinking about it, but they're actually hinging over a little bit. And all I'm doing there is to seeing, okay, which movements are really starting to flare them up, which ones aren't, and then I'm gonna start building rehab around that. So I want him to slowly start doing that at comfortable rate. That gets him that gets him seeing, hey, I can do this and it's not flaring me up. And then it's just over time, over time he'll start getting a little bit more comfortable there. We can do more and more and more. And then before I know it, he's gonna be back at where he was at square one. Um, the funny part is so, that- So you're, so you're almost like, you're almost attacking less of the back pain, more of like the actual, I think of like a genotype phenotype example where you're not like attacking the back pain necessarily, you're attacking the, what is the functional thing in life that you can't do right now? Yes. And can we just, can we get you to be doing that pain-free? And so it's like, hey, I'm having trouble bending over. And it's like, okay, can we regress that down to like square one? And can we build that back up to a point where you can bend over instead of being like, oh, your back hurts. You know, instead of, I guess they're, they're it's happening at the same time technically, but you're just more so thinking. And I think a very similar line of thinking when someone's like, oh my, you know, I have a have a wonky elbow or something. I'll have a client who's like, I have a wonky elbow. And the first thing I'm asking is like, well, okay, which which movements, mm-hmm. like that's gonna help me narrow down what we're going to do. I'm way less schooled with you with knowing what's happening in mm-hmm. their elbow. Um, but I will at least know more about how to go about doing this when I know which movements give you pain. That's like, a, I love that you said that because I feel like that's one big step towards knowing what to do is like, my low back pain hurts or my lower back hurts. Well, when does it hurt? Does it hurt bending down to the side? Does yeah. it hurt flexing forward? Does it mm-hmm. hurt, you know, when you're lying down? And so some of those like what movements give you pain is a nice, is a good place to start. Yeah. And I think that's the most practical one too, because like I just said, even if I spent, you know, four yeah. hours looking at you, I'm pre- I'm still probably not going to be able to boil it down to exactly what is causing you to hurt. I think that's the trap most chiropractors, PTs get stuck into is they'll, they'll be so set on trying to figure out what caused the pain and then they'll almost trick themselves into believing, you know, ah, you know, it's got to be your QL. Oh, yeah. It's got to be your psoas. And then so now treatment. And is, it might be. And it might be. Right? Who knows? But now treatment is solely focused on treating a psoas or a QL. And you're not treating the whole goddamn person. Right? I want, how do, how do you day-to-day deal with this pain? What are you doing that's really flaring you up, that's causing pain, which is actually why it sucks to be in pain? You know, it sucks to be in pain because it just hurts and bothers you. But what really sucks to be in pain is I can't play with my kids now because I yeah. can't bend over. So, okay, so I want to get you to a point where you can actually bend over and do that. I don't want to just focus on your QL and rub it out and do stuff like that and go from there. Treatment should just be focused on what do you want to do? What can't you do? How do we get there? there? There's just, I have a lot of clients who, I work with people exclusively online now. And so even one-on-one coaching clients, I know when it's outside of my scope. You have pain. We're trying to rehab something. I do my best with what I know from a load management perspective, from a technique perspective, all of the things I can do eventually goes out outside my scope. And it's it's interesting to me that like I'll send, I'll tell clients go see a PT or they go see a chiropractor, go see a neuromuscular person and they'll come back and they'll tell me what's wrong. And I'm like, that's awesome that that you got an answer. But yeah. like sometimes I'm like, how the fuck did they know? It's just saw yeah. you one time. Um, and, and I might be totally wrong. Maybe you, you can do an assessment with somebody and they're like, okay, like, you know, we have weak external rotators. Uh, in my right side, or you're a weak external rotation in my left side, right side femur or something. And it's like, okay, like, I'm not saying they're wrong, but I always find it interesting when like a client will come back from like one session with a PT and they're like, yep, this is the thing. And it strikes me as like, well, you know, my doc said that this is what's wrong. This is what's wrong. And I'm like, yeah, sometimes I just, I don't know. I like, I can appreciate 
trying to figure out what's wrong, but I can also maybe more greatly appreciate the kind of language that would say, hey, this is what I think might be happening. Maybe we start to go down this road and we course correct over time. And maybe that's what's being said to them. And then by the time it gets relayed to me, they're forgetting all that added context. Mm -hmm. But I do think that like, do you find it's important even, and and there's an emotional component to this where like the client feels better, you know, when they know what is going, that their thing has a name, you know, right? And so like, and so there's an element of like, do you kind of try and a little bit of like, well, it might be this, we're going to go down this route. Or you're like an open book of like, hey, we're not taking shots in the dark, but we are kind of, uh, what's the, what's the, what's a good analogy is like, we're going to go down this path and just kind of course correct based on the feedback you're giving me. Yeah, I think it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Because some people, like you said, they benefit a lot from having that specific name. Yeah, but when they're- Flip side is, is some people, once they hear that specific name, they're just on it. They're on Google, Google, WebMD. WebMD is- Tell them they're dead in five days. Yeah. Um, and so I've I've started to lean to, and this is by no means the right answer, it's just my preferred way to do it, is I actually like to lay off the diagnosis. I don't like to give them the name just because I don't like to introduce a boogeyman, you know? So I like to give them a broad spectrum and I give it to them exactly as I'm thinking, hey, here's what it is. So for example, with low back, the thing I almost always tell people is we just have a little bit of low back sensitivity, right? You're sensitive to these movements right now, our whole goal of treatment is to get you less sensitive to those movements. Could I throw out, you know, a paraspinal strain, blah, 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 blah. Sure. But does that actually help them? Does it help me? Does it, the big one is always, I, when I think about is, okay, if I could, if I could give this a diagnosis right now, before I even say it to them, I think, is this going to change treatment at all? If I tell them yes or no, if it's no, why bother? You know, it's not going to change it, it, your tendinopathy. Uh, example earlier, great option because that totally dictates how we're going to change treatment. Our our rehab protocol completely changes with tendopathy versus just general. Muscle. And I don't know how they knew that, by the way. That was like an experience I had where I was like, I don't know how you know this. Yeah. Like, I'm not actually sure that you know this, but I and I almost would have, you know, I'm actually not even sure. Like, I can't. Who knows? All I do know is that that load management strategy ended up feeling really great. Yeah. And then whether that was the tendinopathy or just overuse, or I mean, I don't know if just an overuse is even a a real term, but um, I'm more concerned with it working than it yes. being a puzzle piece that fits in really nice. Yep. You know? And I guess to answer, you're just like, how did they know? And I get, cause I kind of bashed on the school earlier, but that's like the biggest thing we learn in school are these orthopedic tests or signs and symptoms and histories that pop up that point you, Hey, more often than not, it could be this, you know, usually you have a list of three or four things at a time. And as more things pop up, you start taking those off and go from there and you process elimination. But like I said, that problem gets to be is clinicians get too caught up in that game rather than like, hey, how do I actually fucking help this person feel better? True. You know, they're just trying to put a name on it rather than help the person. Cool. Let's pivot to like cracking and, and like joints cracking and popping. Um, I personally, if I get into a super deep squat, my joint, my knees will like crackle a tiny bit when I'm coming out of that, let's say. Perfect technique, good load management, good slow eccentric controlled what's going on here? Like, what is happening? Am I worried about it? What, like, I, 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 let's say I'm coming to you. I think that there's something wrong. But my, knees, my knees crackle a little bit sometimes when I get into like deep knee flexion. Like, uh, I'm freaking out, Trevor. What do I do? Yeah. So the scientific answer there is all, all of your joints have some degree of synovial fluid, some more than others. Knees are great. example, has a ton, right? That's a super mobile joint. Same with your shoulder. Those are the two and ankle. I guess those are the three kind of people always like, why is this cracking and making so much noise? Um, long story short is you have a bunch of gases and other elements in that synovial fluid, one of them being nitrogen. When the joint moves a little bit or bends, so think of when you're getting deep into a squat, your knee is going into a little bit of flexion, 
that joint's opening up a little bit, some of that nitrogen gas can slip out, and then that's the pop. That's what you hear. Is so, that a bad thing, nitrogen slipping not out? Not a bad okay. thing whatsoever. The old wise tale of the more you crack it, more you crack your finger, that you're going to arthritis. Not true at all. Okay, it's, good. I didn't even think about that. I crack like my knuckles yeah, are crazy. All the time. I probably have three. Is times. there a downside? I mean, is there is it like no. anything to any correlation? I mean, absolutely not. Yeah. Okay, cool. No, right, it's okay. it just which uh, I'm glad the fingered one, <laughs> as an example, when you crack your, your fingers, do you, does that actually do anything for you? No, not really. I applied that same logic to your back, really. You know, a little different because there's been a force applied and that's kind of like that sensation. It's more so the force, less than the crack, um, which then spins us to like the whole TikTok, the adjustments, thing like that. All they're doing is, it's just noise. The, the thing on TikTok, why it's so big is just like an ASMR. It's just the cracking sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not actually, you know. Sure. So it's all they're doing, all those guys are doing is just moving you a little bit. Those joints are opening up and then that's that nitrogen gas being released and makes that super pleasant sound. Everyone likes. Not dangerous. Totally normal. Um, not a precursor to pain. Absolutely not. Um, Even loosely correlated as far as what you've seen. No, but there are there are times when people come to me um, when they have popping, but with pain. Right, that's a different that's story. That's a different story, yep, totally, right? Yeah. Um, is it a different story because they are separated or is it a different story because in this context they might be related? In this context they might be related. Um, okay. If you, it, It's super normal to have popping with no pain. When you start having popping or click, clicking especially, um, people kind of... They kind of come and go. Like sometimes they're like, oh, it pops. Sometimes it clicks. That can be different. Then we're looking at, you know, maybe we have some pathology we want to look for. And then that's shoots us down a different path. Um, but as far as just. Does the sound for you as a practitioner help? I mean, if I'm, if you're, if we demonstrate a squat right here, you hear my knees. Is there a, can you, can you hear the difference in that? Or like. Yeah, it's, there's so many factors that go into it. I don't really, I don't really take into account because it could be just like your body fat percentage, how much muscle is there, how much. What's, what does that sound have to go through before it actually comes audible through your ears? There's so many factors at play there. You might not even hear it, frankly. It exactly. might be, I might feel it crackle exactly. and you might not hear it. So that's totally. true. That's true. That's true. That's good because I feel like that's a lot of a lot of clients will be like, well, I don't want to do this. You know, we're doing a – that's funny because people join my group program. They've, they're have they probably trading their quads or lengthening their quads for the first time ever because they've never actually – put their knee past their toe and got a lot of knee flexion. So I'm thinking of we do like a foam roller hack squat where you can minimize the hip flexion and get the knees forward over the toes. And somebody like, you know, I'm getting a lot of like knee, knee yep. crackling when I do this. Yep. And my first thought is, my first question to them is, okay, do you have pain? Or is mm-hmm. it just like this little popping? Because they are different things. And it's not the consumer's fault. It's pop, crackling, popping, these sorts of things feel like, well, that shouldn't happen. Exactly. Thus, I'm doing something wrong, which is totally like logical line of logic. Um, yeah, rational, logical rationale, um, and so that makes sense. Good, I think, and I think that that was what my opinion was as well. So it's good to hear that affirmed here. But do do you do people come to you and they're like, "Well, my joints are cracking and popping," and you're like, "Yeah, it was okay." All the time, yeah. All or a lot of ones that happens like you talk about where it's you're kind of exploring motions. When I go do my assessments and I start getting to move around, they'll their joints will stop propping. They'll say, "Oh, their first impression is like, oh, that's not good. That's not normal." And I just have to be like reassuring, totally normal. Oh, that's awesome. That's probably good to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like there's the, now I'm thinking a little bit more of this like PT Cairo. Like I feel like if you're like, I feel like back pain might be in the Cairo bucket in my brain. And then the, you know, maybe I'm trying to think of what would be more exclusively in the PT bucket. Would you say that like returning from surgery might be more in the PT bucket? Absolutely. So I guess that's where... That's where um, I'll kind of win some of the PTs listening back is they have so much more expertise in specific rehab fields. Um, the one you just described being post-op. Post-op, yeah. I feel comfortable treating people with post-op, but I know 99% of 
people in chiropractic would be, they wouldn't really know what the protocol is to go from there. And that's where PTs have definitely touched on it. They definitely know how to go through there. Um, and that's like just a field they're more comfortable working in. My kind of rule of thumb is if like a family or a friend asked me and they didn't, you know, they couldn't see me or didn't want to see me or something like that. And they're just like, hey, should I go see a chiropractor or a PT? If it's something more chronic that you've been dealing with for a long time, I'm more steer, steer them towards PT just because I know it's going to be a rehab-based um, treatment, which is going to actually give you kind of the tools you need to get over something chronic. Whether they're good or not, I, I hope they're good. Sure. You yeah. know, that's a different story. Yeah. But I feel more comfortable saying a PT is going to – you have a better chance of getting better treatment from there. Whereas a chiropractor, you're looking at a lot higher chance of they're just going to try to adjust you for three months. And yeah, yeah. Hope that natural history yeah. works its way in there. Yeah. If you don't know, if you're if a, if a friend or somebody who lives in the you know bumblefuck and they ask, should I go to PT yeah. or Cairo? You're probably like, well, I don't know either of these people personally, and exactly. so you probably have a better chance going to the PT getting 100%. the treatment you need. Yeah. Um, but then on the flip side is if you have something super acute, I actually don't. I don't know. I think a chiropractor could be good enough because our best case scenario is you go in there one time, crack you, you feel better, you know, just because they rubbed on it. And now you feel better, and then that's it, and you're done. And then look at that. You only spent, you know, 20 minutes, sure. and however much the time was for that one treatment, whereas PTs might be more prone to take it a little slow, and then you could be there for a few weeks when really it was going to get better in a few weeks anyways. Cool. We'll do one more quick little, like, I was going to say gimmick, but maybe not. Uh, and then I do want to talk about afterwards, like, the difference between, so this like you're listening, the afterwards, this idea of, like, healing, re slash rehabbing to get back to normal life versus the process of somebody who's coming to you. You're working in a gym right now. So it's mm -hmm. like every person who comes to you is like has the end goal of actually getting back to lifting or doing right. something more physically ambitious. And so maybe what the difference between those two are. But I have a quick, quick question about inversion table. Um, I'm just like, I just need to go through all the bullshit. So I have you here now. We need yeah. to go through all this now. Um, inversion table, what's happening? What, what would do? What, yes, please help. Just please help. What the, what's going on? You know, I have a friend who's like, oh, I just yeah. bought an inversion table. I'm like, you... <laughs> have this massive fucking thing in your house now that just like, okay yeah. but in theory like all right whatever i'm not gonna steal i have no fucking clue so you lead us off what's going on here do you do, do i need to buy one <laughs> i think in equal parts we don't know what the fuck's going on because i also I'm, i know what they're saying and as far as research goes zero like none it's totally anecdotal um into which my default answer really is well if you like it and it feels good it's not causing yeah go harm. nuts go yeah. for it whatever i think the theory is that it's it's almost like the whole uh have you ever heard when you go to sleep and you wake up, you're a little bit taller because your discs actually hydrate and they get a little bit yeah, bigger? Yeah, maybe, yeah. That's, it's kind of that preface where it's you're flipped upside down, so there's just gravity's not weighing on your joints or your spine, spinal joints as much as they are down there. Is, is that actually happening? Probably not, but some people feel better from it, so, you know, go nuts, go bananas. Um, and that's, you can pretty much take that little... What is, what is somebody saying is happening? They're saying is that it's it's basically you're taking you're taking the pressure off off of your joints because you're you know you're not standing there. How much pressure that actually is? Decompressing the spine is a nebulous term. Essentially, okay. it's yeah. There's actual then there's there's totally different. There's like a spinal decompression where they like actually pull, pull you. Apart. Right. Okay. Let's go, go there. Inversion is just that on a but allowing scale. gravity to do that. Yeah, right? not pulling you apart. It used to be really popular because when they were doing torturing does. people in the 1600s and they <laughs> fucking strap you to this shit. Or or like the 1980s and that was like, oh, you have lumbar back pain. We're just gonna decompress um, decompress you for like three weeks. And that actually, and the reason it was popular is because it actually does like acutely feel good just because you're getting a stretch. That yeah, well, that, that's that's yeah. that's what I'm saying. And so the, yeah. and there is something to that. We There's just something about to that. Yeah. Absolutely. As far as do you need to go do it? Should you go buy one right now? Absolutely not, unless you love it um but it's 
it's you could like I was gonna say you could take that clip and you could apply it to every little thing ever. Um, massage guns, cupping sets, um, acupuncture stuff like that. If you like it, go nuts for it. It's not absolutely like a must-have. You should go spend money on it right now. But if you like it and you, you know you feel a little bit of enjoyment from it, and it's not causing you any harm. Go nuts. Ah, uh, you just opened up a fucking can of worms with the massage gun. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Let's do massage I, gun. Okay, Come on. So disclaimer is. I'll tell everyone, like, no, you don't need a massage gun, as I own a Hypervolt, and I like using it every now and then. And my wife, Caitlin, like, religiously loves using it. Um, she's she's a good example because she's kind of the patient, like, an example I'd give of why I don't like Hyper, because she's almost like, she can't work out without using it beforehand. She's, like, dependent. She's like, oh, I need a warm up. What's happening when she's doing that? I mean, is this she, it's, it's just a placebo? vibration. Yeah, it's, no, I mean, it's, it's not percussion not therapy. Placebo. But Yeah, it's kind of the same thing I've talked about, where it's you're introducing a stimulus, and that stimulus is getting perceived by your brain and it's your brain's focusing on that stimulus more than whatever the pain. Um, and the more you do it specifically vibration therapy, it's uh, it's something we call bioplasticity, which just means your body's getting more used to like sensation in that area. And it's just taking some of that off of where it's like, okay, he's just doing this. I don't need to think about it as much. Um, that's the same sort of thing that happens when a kid hits their head and they rub their head. Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden it feels better. That's exactly what's going on there. Um, so it's, it's an awesome little thing if you like it. It feels good. That's why, like, I like using it. I feel like a hypocrite when I'm like, ah, oh, massage guns, you don't need them. Who needs them? And then, like, as I go home and use it at night. But it's it's not magic. And it's definitely, I hate when people use it as, like, my wife example, as a warm-up tool because why don't you just, like, actually... It's an opportunity out. cost of time, by the totally. way, also, that I always think of. And money, too, is whatever. But totally. like, and the, it's not actually warming you up. Right. You're just not as sensitive to the area, so you're not noticing that you feel achy there. Yeah. You're not actually using the muscles or warming them up. It's another good opportunity for nebulous words like, oh, I'm just, I'm breaking up the tissue. Breaking I'm up. breaking up on the, you know, that that sounds like, oh, it's got to be a good thing. Anytime you hear breaking up scar tissue, yeah. adhesions, increasing blood flow to the area, that's just, most of the time it's so overblown. Or in the case of like the breaking up adhesions, not even remotely true. Yeah. Um, cool. That, that's my stance on massage guns. I... You don't need them, but I, you know, biases. I actually. I mean, you don't need massage in general, and I go get a massage like twice a month anyway. So it's like uh, I can understand. It feels good. Yeah, and it, if it feels good for you and you like it, do it. Yeah, I'm with that 100. Just like all things that we talk about in this podcast, just be making informed decisions. You know, just yep. like know what the pros and cons are, and more mm-hmm. importantly, what the alternatives to this could be. In the 10 minutes you're, you know, in the 10 minutes you have, you're like lacrosse balling and foam rolling. Like, could you be doing more warm up sets for the movements that you're going to actually be doing? Like, potentially being maybe a better choice oh, of time. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, as a as an anecdote, when I work in the gym, there's a few like Olympic weightlifters, and those guys are the king of like a 30 minute. I have to do a 30 minute warm up session before yeah. I lift the weights, and yeah. I was like, you know what? Probably a little faster if you just did the damn yeah. lift. You're for you know? your this. It's funny. I can't use your lacrosse ball because it doesn't vibrate. I yeah. need really need the one that vibrates, or it's like really not going to break up that tissue yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Let's 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 close it down with just like the difference between. So my experience with the reason that I sought out active life was because ah, this is not a fair uh, generalizable opinion, but I had seen kind of uh, Jenna go through. Um, Jenna had a bilab- bilateral labral tear surgery. Uh, so surgery on, on both sides of her hips, both hips, both sides of the hip. Um, and she went to PT for a while and it was great. I mean, it was what is necessary post-op. It's like go to physical therapy, but it like had this point where it, what she wanted to do with her life, which get back to heavy lifting, being strong, being able to hike kind of like surpassed what her PT was comfortable and, and knowledgeable about. And it got to the point where it was like, 
okay, I can't do any more of these like banded clamshells. Like at some point I need to be, I need there to be a bridge between post-op and lifting. Mm -hmm. And we found active life and that ended up being something super, super great where like, they were like, okay, like we get it. You post-opt, like we're not, we don't do that. What we do do is we take you from there and take you back to lifting. So do you, are you finding that there's like maybe things that you do or a, a, a spectrum of chiropractors who are like, hey, we do this acute stuff versus like, hey, we understand like you're in a gym. Like, are yes. you are you taking people from, are you doing, like we talked about PTs maybe having like a longer drawn out sort of like our 12 week plan that we're gonna do. And are you also putting things like that together, understanding somebody wants to get back to lifting? Absolutely. And I think that's where, that's where I really like working in is, and what I think separates me from most PT, most PTs, cause I don't actually have the bias of PT school of them, you know, being usually using that post-op setting where you have to start, keep the load really light, do those banded clamshells. But I, I think I, I benefit my patients a lot is I'm not afraid to push the load to a necessary level where it's these people want to get back to, I work a lot with power lifters. They want to get back to pushing their one RMs. They're not going to be able to do that, but doing banding clamshells for six weeks at a time. Um, and that's where I think good, good PTs and good rehab specialists, Kairos as a whole, they know that they can turn up the intensity as long as they're managing the load. Um, and I'm glad to hear that she did that. Cause that's, that's the biggest gripe is people that have PTs is they go see them. They say, you know, I was just doing, banded shoulder external rotations for six weeks. You know, I actually, I want to start benching again. How am I, how am I going to get there by just doing five pound band extensions? The answer, you're not going to, um, which is where I think that's, if you're, if you're an active population, you have an injury, I think that's, that's where you'll be able to find right away. If you're, if you're with a good provider that's constructing rehab right away is not as if they're actually getting you back to doing somewhat comparable loads to what you're doing before. And they actually have that programmed into your, your rehab and their, their goal is, hey, I want to get you actually benching, you know, your 1RM again. Um, yeah, that's something that's something most PTs don't have, but it's also something most of them don't. don't it's really it's also something I think of just like it's on you also as the consumer to communicate. I feel like Absolutely. it's like you need to say that this is my intent. But, you know. but I'll, I'll throw that back is where a lot of times as a consumer, you you just kind of default to the expertise and you think, well, they, they're the expert. They should know, you know. But are they the expert in getting people back to benching exactly. 500 pounds? And I know? think that's kind of... That's where it's my big bias is like you as a as someone who does like rehab and stuff like that and you're working with people in that population, you need to be like weightlifting and training and stuff yourself to know if you want to work with that yeah. population, if you, you, want, you, you population. want to just do some adjustments yes. and you know, uh, the Joe's got his yes. back hurts a little bit and you want to adjust him and that then you probably don't need to be immersed in the in that. But I do agree that like. Ah, it's, it's interesting though, like, is this technically a logical fallacy that that needs to be yes. the case? It just so happens. It's like, it's like, yes. can I have an overweight cardiologist? Like, you can. Yes. It's like, can you have an overweight like weight loss coach? Of course you can. Yes. You know, like, this is not. It's a logical fallacy to say that it can't. They can't be both at the same no. time. But, but I'd say on the grand scale of things, if you're a betting person, I'm going to yes. bet on the person who's immersed in the thing I want to get back to doing that they will on average across a large population have a better chance of being able to do that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's more so just from a. From that perspective that I'm talking about, it's more so it's it's easy it's easy to look at people as really fragile if like you don't if you don't work out and do like if you don't work in a setting where you're training pretty intensely. Um, whereas if you are, you kind of know what people are capable of, and to get back to that level that they're at, you know that they actually need to be pushed a little bit more. So that's why I generally there. But yeah, it's totally a fallacy, and people you can actually have it one way or the other. Cool. All right, man. Well, we're coming up in an hour. We both got uh, dog walks to attend to, <laughs> other things to attend to. So why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? And uh, you have some excellent content coming out. So I'm sure they Absolutely. should. Absolutely. So most of my content's coming out on Instagram right now. It's at Trevor.Zerky. Um, 
I do, I do in-person sessions out of a gym in East Austin, if anyone's in the Austin, Texas area. But I also do um, telehealth with people um, that mostly consults with what I was talking about, where it's, I really want to get to know as a person what's been bugging you. And then I primarily structure care around forming your rehab program. The awesome part about that is I can do that anywhere in the world. You know, I have people from back home in Minnesota that I still talk to and I still program stuff for. And it works fine because I don't really need to see you in person. I just want to check up on you. Um, I kind of look at his relationship as like I'm a friend who's just happened to make you a rehab program. Um, so you can find me there. I'm also on TikTok at Trevor Zerke underscore DC. Just snapping people's Absolutely backs on, not on TikTok. The yeah. exact opposite. You will see you will see cracking on there, but it's only because I'm reacting to those videos yeah, and yeah, telling yeah. you why these are. Sure, 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 sure. Cool. Um, but you also that's why you also don't see me with five million followers there. True. That's awesome. But yeah. those are my two primary things there. So cool. and in my bio on Instagram is where you can find my website, book appointments. Feel free to DM me at any point if you have questions. I'm pretty open book. All right, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.